Evidence and Answers. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will continue on with a study he started the last time we were together entitled, A New Tolerance. Is Christianity too rigid? Was Christ considered intolerant? Today, it appears we have a new definition of what tolerance means. Let's join Pat now as he explains biblically what this new definition of tolerance is and how it stacks up to God's definition. Here's part two with Dr. Pat Zucrin. I'm not sure they studied the Quran or Islam regarding its treatment of non-Muslims, but this is the reason they gave. The reason they gave was tolerance. Hey, we are a state of tolerance. We understand that people have different beliefs. We may not agree on every single item and issue out there, but to say and highlight the negativity of the Islamic people is an insult to the majority of believers who are good law-abiding citizens of the world. So what was the main reason given for making September 24th Islam Day in Hawaii? Tolerance. Tolerance. And we're also the only state that has taken banned prayer from our state legislature. Why? Tolerance. Hey, I'm going to be tolerant of all religions. But you see, the new tolerance actually becomes very intolerant. Now, a culture that accepts the new tolerance, this new and dangerous definition, is drinking its own poison here. Let me explain to you why this new definition will have a very corrosive effect on not only the church, but on our culture and our nation as a whole. There are some grave dangers to this new definition of tolerance. We must ask ourselves, should all beliefs be tolerated? Are all beliefs equally valid and true? Should all beliefs be protected and promoted? Should we tolerate all ideas and lifestyles as equally valid and true? The new tolerance demands we accept all beliefs and lifestyles. The new tolerance ends up leading into something we call moral relativism, which eventually leads to anarchy and a return to tyranny. Because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And false ideas like the new tolerance will corrode the moral foundation of a culture which no longer can define right from wrong and no longer has the courage anymore or the backbone to stand against false and dangerous belief systems. And so dangerous belief systems proliferate through that kind of culture. Take a look at what's going on throughout Europe. And the wonderful guests I get to interview on my radio show, Evidence and Answers, especially the ones from Europe, keep telling us, don't follow our path. Don't make the mistakes we made. But what do we do? We keep going right down the same path. And eventually, a tolerant society will be destroyed by the false ideas and those intolerant toward them. Okay? Should all beliefs be tolerated? Or should we stand and oppose ideas which we find to be false and harmful? Should we tolerate the values of the KKK? Do their ideas 
deserve to be considered equally true and valid as all others? Or should we stand opposed to their ideas and persuade people in this organization that their position is false and the truth is indeed all men and women are created equal in the image of God? Should we tolerate the ideology of Nazi Germany? Well, I'm glad we did not. I'm glad there were men and women in the world who dared to stand in opposition to the ideology taught by the Nazis. Should we tolerate the belief system of the Taliban and especially their treatment of women? Do their ideas, especially how to treat unbelievers and those who leave Islam, do their ideas deserve to be considered equally true and allowed to be promoted or should we stand against such ideology? What about this guy? When he began, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad was simply stating the sentiments of the Islamic world. He said, America is the world oppressor and Israel must be wiped off the map. A world without America and Zionism is attainable and surely can be delivered. Should we accept this and allow them to promote these ideas unchallenged as equally valid and true? Or should we have the courage to say this is false and stand up against this kind of ideology and oppose it? What about the teachings in the Quran on how to treat unbelievers? Chapter 9 of the Quran. How did Muhammad said to treat the unbelievers? Chapter 9, by the way, is the, one of the most authoritative because it is one of the final surahs that Muhammad wrote. And according to the law of abrogation, right, the later surahs override the earlier ones. Fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem. Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by Allah and his prophet, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are people of the book. The people of the book are Jews and Christians, okay? Until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. According to the Quran, the unbeliever has three choices. Meet the sword, convert, or pay the heavy jizya, the heavy tax, and live as a second-class citizen, all right? Go to countries where they institute Sharia law, all right? And you'll see that practiced. Is this the kind of ideology we say is equally valid and true and should be tolerated and promoted? Or is this the kind of ideology we stand up against and say, this is false? Chapter 4 of the Quran explains to us the treatment of women in Islam. A lot of people are shocked when they hear these stuff. So I'm going to read it right from the Quran itself, chapter 4. Men are the maintainers of women because Allah has made some of them to excel others and because they, are, they spend out of their property. The good women are therefore obedient, guarding the unseen as Allah has guarded. And those on whose part you fear desertion, admonish them and leave them alone in the sleeping places and beat them. Then if they obey you, do not seek a way against them. Surely Allah is high and great. Is this a teaching we should tolerate? and promote as equally valid and true? Or should we stand opposed to this kind of teaching? The Hadith, the Quran is the holy book of Islam. The Hadith is the sayings of Muhammad, which came about 200 years later. 
But often, the Quran is a very difficult book to read. It's like jumping in the middle of a conversation and trying to figure out what's going on. Often, if you want to figure out the context, you got to go to the Hadith. All right? And the Hadith is supposedly the teachings of Muhammad that kind of expand on some of his things in the Quran. But here's the teachings on women in the Hadith. The Prophet said, Isn't the witness of a woman equal to half that of a man? The woman said, Yes. And he said, This is because of the deficiency of a woman's mind. In Islam, women are indeed inferior to men. Okay? Now, is this an ideology we say is equally valid and true and should be promoted unchallenged in our culture today? Or should we have the courage to say, no, this is false, and we stand opposed to this kind of ideology and engage those who believe this in discussion, persuading them from their position to what we believe is the true position? Are all lifestyles, beliefs equally valid and true? I don't think so. Some ideologies are indeed false and dangerous. And a healthy society is able to identify what is a false and dangerous kind of teaching and identify it and stand opposed to it. George Barna says this about the ideology of this new tolerance. He said, without any insight into the vacuous and dangerous philosophy that they have unwittingly accepted, teenagers are facing a rapidly changing world, armed with a worldview that places them at the center, lifts up personal experience and emotion as the arbiter of decency and righteousness, and rejects historical experience as relevant to today's world. It will ultimately undermine the capacity of America to be a beacon of goodness, sanity, morality, and purposeful faith. Philosopher Karl Popper states this, if we extend unlimited tolerance, even to those who are intolerant, if we are not prepared to defend the tolerant society against the onslaught of the intolerant, then the tolerant will be destroyed and tolerance with them. Eventually, a tolerant society, if they buy into this new definition, drinks its own poison and will be destroyed by the false ideas and those who will not tolerate them. All beliefs are not equally valid and true. The new tolerance is also not livable. The vast majority of us would not tolerate such teachings as the ones I just showed. A healthy human body does not tolerate everything that enters into its system. What is not good for the body, a healthy body identifies and tries to reject immediately. And there are, then, universal moral absolutes which every good society must live by, which is their guidelines for what they will tolerate and not tolerate, and must have a clear idea to stand for them and to defend them. We can see what's going on in Europe. British Prime Minister David Cameron, shortly after he became Prime Minister, in one of what he said is the most important speeches he has ever made, announced to Europe the failure of the new tolerance that Europe had been living by. He said this, 
the decades-old British policy of multiculturalism, the belief that all cultures, values, and lifestyles are valid and true and should be tolerated, has failed miserably. And now England and other European nations have become one of the world's largest breeding grounds for radical Islam. The policy had allowed Islamic militants leeway to radicalize young Muslims, some of whom went on to the next level by becoming terrorists, and that Europe could not defeat terrorism simply by the actions we take outside our borders with military actions like the war in Afghanistan. Europe needs to wake up to what is happening in our own countries, he said. We have to get to the root of the problem. And he's absolutely right. Cameron said we cannot defeat this kind of radical ideology on the military battlefield. If we're going to win this battle, we've got to win the war of ideas. We've got to be able to present a case for truth, for morality, for right from wrong, to identify ideologies that are false and dangerous and stand opposed to them. And so we need to win the battle on two battlefronts, militarily, but also ideologically, philosophically, and theologically. We need to engage the battle on both fronts. But a culture that has bought in to relativism and the new tolerance, what is it you stand for then? If there's no such thing as absolute truth, if all beliefs are equally valid and true, what is it you stand for? How will you engage these ideologies? What will you present as your position of truth by which you stand for and oppose these ideas? Relativism and this new tolerance provides you no foundation to stand upon, upon which you can engage these ideas. That's why it is such a dangerous philosophy that will eventually undermine a culture and a nation. A good and tolerant nation must be able to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong, lifestyles that are dangerous and harmful, and those that are good and healthy. This requires a universal moral law code, a standard of truth, which we know what we will tolerate and what ideas, behaviors, and laws we shall stand against. Right and wrong are rooted in the very character of God and revealed in his word. And in order for an ethical system to be absolute, then it must derive its source from something that is over us, outside of us, and a source that is unchanging. And the moral law of God has been presented in his special revelation here, but also the moral law code which he has placed upon our hearts, Romans chapter 2. And Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, who confirmed his claim to his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection, affirms the authority of the Bible alone as the inspired Word of God. And God's truth applies to all people at all times. And a belief can be judged, whether true or false, if it is consistent with God's revelation here. Now, final section here. Did Jesus teach the new tolerance? You know, what is the most quoted verse in our culture today? It's not John 3.16. 
All right? It's Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. You know, I was teaching a class in a church not too long ago here in Southern California. And I remember a lady raised her hand. And by the way she raised her hand, the way she looked, I knew I was in trouble. So I looked over at her and I said, yes. And she said, I got a question for you. I said, well, I'll do my best. She goes, is homosexuality a sin? And I knew right away this was going to get hot. So I said, well, according to the Bible, what does it say? And immediately she stood up and said, judge not lest you be judged. Do not judge lest you be judged. Throwing out that verse, of course, out of context. And we had to take some time to calm her down so we could engage her in a discussion here. But the false interpretation, which much of our culture and uh, she had bought into, was that Jesus was saying, never judge anyone's lifestyle or beliefs as true or false. Judge not lest you be judged. Okay? You can't say anyone is right. You can't say any is wrong. Judge not lest you be judged. However, Jesus taught us and his disciples to judge truth from error. If you just look at the verses that follow, look at what Jesus is teaching. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Isn't Jesus judging here? Isn't he saying most ways people teach the salvation is false and wrong and leads to destruction? Isn't he judging? He judged the false teachers. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves by their fruit that you will recognize them. Wait a minute. Didn't he just teach, judge not lest you be judged? But he's judging here. And he's teaching us how to identify and how to judge truth from error. Look at the next verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. Wait, he's identifying people as evil. Isn't he judging here? What's going on? Didn't he just say, judge not lest you be judged? But in the next several verses, he's judging truth from error right from wrong. What's going on? Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 7 not to judge hypocritically or by the false standards of men. He's not saying that it is always wrong to judge. Rather, it is wrong to judge others while overlooking your own sin. If you look at that passage... There in Matthew chapter 7, he says this, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you too will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly and you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. What is Jesus saying? Don't judge hypocritically. If you're going to point out a sin in your brother's life, you better make sure you've examined your life as well. 
And if you're engaged in sin, you better take care of that before you point out sin in other people's lives. That's what Jesus was talking about. The verb there, krino, means to judge with a critical and self-righteous attitude. So he's saying, do not develop a condemning, critical attitude towards others that places yourself above others, that is willing to point out everyone else's sin, but not deal with your own. That's what Jesus is saying. Okay, So he says, hey, deal with your sin, and then you can point out the sin in others. Don't judge hypocritically. In verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you too will be judged. If you judge others by the standards of the word of God, then you place yourself also under the standard of the word of God by which others will judge you and by which you'll be judged. So I remember with that lady, once we calmed her down, I said, all right, does the Bible say homosexuality is sin? Because whatever I say really doesn't mean much. Okay, but it's, what does this say? And she said, well... If you judge, then you too shall be judged. And I said, that is correct. If I judge that as sin, I place myself under the authority of the Bible. And the Bible will also be my judge. And I'm willing for the Bible to be my judge as well. And she kind of calmed down, you know. And then I said, therefore, according to the Bible, that would be sin. Okay? And I'm under the judgment of the Bible, just as you are, just as all other sinners are. So Jesus was not teaching the new tolerance. Jesus taught us to judge right from wrong, truth from error. Jesus pointed out error. He persuaded people to his position of truth. He didn't force them or persecute them, but by the power of his reason and his evidence and his arguments, he persuaded them to his position. Jesus spoke out against sinful behavior Jesus taught there's only one way to eternal life and all other ways would be false. So Jesus, according to the new definition of our culture, would be one of the most intolerant persons if he were teaching now. Well, what are some applications for us today then? First of all, we must not bow down to the new tolerance, but have the courage to stand up for God's truth and to identify truth from error and to be able to explain the difference between true tolerance and this new and very dangerous definition of tolerance. Second, we must practice true tolerance. If you look at what's going on in the culture war today, a lot of heated arguments and shouting back and forth, but as Christians, we are to be civil to those who disagree with us, but firmly stand for truth and oppose false and dangerous ideas, but to practice civility even to those who disagree with us. And finally, remember, those who stand for truth can expect hostility from a culture living in rebellion against God. We often forget that truth will set you free, as Jesus said, but truth can also offend. And we need to be prepared in a culture moving away from the truth of God's word that when we do stand for truth, we can expect a hostile response. 
And as Christians, we're to respond with strength, with courage, with patience, with gentleness, and with love to persuade people to see the error of their position and the truth of God's word. We must not buy in to the new definition of tolerance, but stand for the biblical truth of God's word. One kind of tolerance will destroy our nation. Another leads to a very healthy kind of nation. Therefore, it's critical more than ever. We understand the definition of tolerance. We understand and are able to defend truth and present it in a powerful and compelling way. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for each one who is here who sacrificed the night to discover your truth and engage your culture and your world for Christ. I pray each one here would make a powerful impact in the arenas you've placed them to be a witness for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes Dr. Pat Zucran's study entitled, A New Tolerance. Evidence and Answers is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetic Center and a subsidiary of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you would like to team up with us, please start with prayer. And then to donate, please log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, visit them online at www.hcmlp.com. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers.